And uh, we are in Philippians chapter 2, and I am just feeling so much energy this morning. And I was telling the first service, I I feel more energy. You know, I got an extra hour of sleep, of course. But the thing about an extra hour of sleep is, is that it gives you extra cups of coffee. Amen? And you just get, I'm just buzzing. And uh, so anyways, I think it's carrying over, actually, to the second service here. I'm feeling the same thing. And uh, it's good to see everybody. So Philippians 2, I might talk a little fast this morning. I'll try to keep it slow. Um, Philippians 2, and we'll be looking at verses uh, 12 and following. I was supposed to get through uh, the rest of this chapter today, but it's just not going to happen. So we'll finish up chapter 2 next week, but uh, we'll get through some of it this morning. Before I pray, a couple of things. First of all, if you are new and been visiting, these opportunities, Discover 2.0 and Discover 1.0, are both opportunities for you to kind of get more connected um, and uh, kind of investigate our church and membership. So Doug did a great job announcing it, but I just want to back it up and just say, please sign up, come ask questions, get to know us. Um, you might decide that this is not where God's calling you, but love with the opportunity to talk to you and uh, everything like that. The 1.0 is kind of like a, a coffee with a pastor after second service, real informal, and uh, just get to know uh, me and the leadership and uh, the church a little bit better. And then the other thing, too, is that if you uh, consider this your church home and you've been here for a while but you're not a member, I want to encourage you to come to the membership class as well. You might think that this church is more your church than it is mine because I'm newer than you, and yet I still want to call everybody to become members and to really join with us in commitment and covenant and everything like that. So I encourage you to come to the membership class, become a member, or decide why you're not going to become a member, but I want to challenge you on that very point. Finally, if you are not a believer, or you're a new believer, or you're a believer who's never been baptized as a believer, I want to encourage you to come to the baptism class, all right? And even um, if you have questions about what the Bible says about believer's baptism or whatnot, this is a good, good class to come and to talk about that. So all that's next Saturday. So if you have the time, sign up for that. Uh, set your face like flint. Um, I don't know. Get on your toes, off your heels, and let's do that together. All right. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and following. Again, for visitors, my name is Josh. And uh, we're going through the book of Philippians. It's called All About Jesus. I want to read two of the verses I'm going to look at, and then we will pray. So let's look at those right now. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 12. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. All right, let's pray. God, we just, uh, we give you this morning and we give you this time. Help us by your grace to stand under your word. Help us by grace to stand in Christ. Bring us salvation, freedom, peace. Bring us your life. Help me to get out of the way and so that you will be speaking to us as our Father and as our God. 
And uh, we are just grateful for the privilege and the freedom we have to stand in your presence and to receive from you life and goodness and holiness and righteousness. And I just pray that you would do that in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now the key operative phrase is, is, is found in verse 12 where it says, work out your own salvation. Work out your own salvation. Now, I want you to know something about that phrase. He is not saying, he is not saying work for your salvation. That's an important point. He's not saying go work for your salvation. Go, go do something for God so that you'll be made right with God. Go and, go and earn your salvation. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is he's saying work out your salvation. The phrase work out, it, it's, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a, it was a phrase that was used almost in mathematics, like work out a formula. Back in New Testament times, it was used of farmers, like go out and harvest what is already there. There's a harvest out there, and you need to go get what is already there. Go, go pick up what, what you haven't worked for, but it's there. I mean, obviously, farmers work for a good harvest, but it's, it's there. The harvest is there. Go work it out. Go get it. And I want you to know that what we believe as Christians is that we are not saved or made right with God based upon what we do. We're made right with God based upon what Jesus Christ has done for us. Amen? And we were all found lost and in darkness and in bondage. I was a lost, scared teenage kid when God found me. And literally, I was awakened, spiritually reborn in my bedroom because God got a hold of me and set me on fire with salvation that came, not because I did something religious, but because God did something gracious in my life. Salvation and being justified before God, being right with God, does not come down to you. So release that pressure. Get off the religious treadmill. Get out of that kind of religious mind frame of, if I don't do it right, then I'm going to go to hell. That's not what he's talking about. What he is talking about is based on what God has already done for you, work it out. Before we met God, before we knew Jesus, our life was based on ups and downs. Remember that? Remember before you knew God and everything was like your happiness, your joy, your peace was based upon circumstances. And if my circumstances were up, I was up. And if my circumstances were down, I was down. But after we came to know Jesus, what happens is his life became about ins and outs, not ups and downs. Every time God works in me, I work out. Every time God gives me something, I use the gift. That's what Paul is saying. He is saying, work out your salvation. Take what God has given you and use it. It's kind of like at Christmas time. None of us are going to give our children gifts, you know, at Christmas time and say, here you go. Here you go, honey. Here's a Barbie in a box. You know, I have girls, so all girl illustrations here at Crosspoint. It's a pink world I live in, all right? And I give them a Barbie in a box, and they go, oh, great, Barbie in a box. And they take it to the room, and they just put it in the corner and go, I'm never going to take that out. You know what I mean? Like, what are my girls going to do with the Barbie with the little dress and the little button that says, I love Ken? Stupid thing. Stupid. Ken. Ken. 
they're going to rip it out of the box. They're going to take it out. They're going to use what's, what I've given them. They're going to they're rip it out. That's what Paul's saying. It's not about trying to get saved. It's, it's acting like you already are saved. It's taking out, working out. What Paul is saying to this church in a very pastoral way, a very loving way, a very gentle way. In fact, he says, you hear the language, the tone is love. Therefore, my beloved, he says. Beloved means loved by God. And when he says my beloved, he says, God loves you. I love you. You are loved. You are loved. Everybody just say, I am loved. If we were a Pentecostal church, I'd say, look at each other and say, I'm loved. You know, but we're not going to do that. But you say, I am loved because you are loved. You're loved by God. You're loved by me. You're loved by your pastors, by your elders, by your family. You are a loved person. And Paul is saying, you're loved by God and I love you. But here's the thing. It's time to grow up. It's time to mature. It's time to work out more of what you have in Christ. And I love you, but he's telling them. Paul's talking to this church. You've been around for 10 years now and you're fighting over little itty bitty things and there's little divisions happening in your church and you've been around for 10 years. I planted you 10 years ago, Philippians. And now it's time for you to grow up. It's time for you to take the next step. It's time for you to to take the next step in your spiritual life. And I challenge everybody here today, no matter where you're at with God, take the next step. That's all I'm asking you. I'm not asking you to become a holy saint or to walk on water. or to. I'm just asking, wherever you're at today, take the next step. Are you a Christian? Because if you're not, I challenge you to take the next step. It's time to grow up. It's time to stop acting like you can always see through Christianity or see through God or put God on the dark. Well, I don't know if he exists or not. He does exist and you know it in your heart. And he wants you. And you've got to take the next step. And if you're a new believer, it's time to take the next step. You got to grow up. You got to work out what you got. You got to get baptized. You haven't been baptized as a believer? You got to take that next step. You got to work out. I'm, I'm saying this lovingly. God is saying this to you lovingly. If you've been a follower of Jesus all these years and you know the ins and the outs of this Bible, there's still a next step for you. you there's something for you to work out in your life. You got to take the next step. You got to grow up. You got to walk up. Work out your salvation. Grow up mature. Stop staying where you're at. That's what Warren Worsby used to say all the time. He used to say, you know, there's no standstill in faith. You're either moving forward or you're falling backwards. But there's no such thing as static faith. It's always dynamic. You're always falling back or moving forward. Which is it for you right now? Which is it for you today? You say, I've been falling back for weeks. Now's the time to start moving forward again. I've been stagnant and spiritually burned out for a year. It's time to move forward. Take the next step. I'll never forget my dad when I was uh, about 16. And I was just, I mean, honestly, can I just be frank? Will you all let me be frank for a moment? I was a punk. I'm telling you. It's true. I still am in some ways, but I'm a sanctified punk now. But anyways, no, I've grown a lot. You know, I mean, like God has brought me a long ways. I still have a long ways to go. You know, it's kind of like what we used to say, you know, I'm not what I should be, but I'm not what I was. Amen. 
But my dad, when I was 16, I was such a punk. And he just finally, he just said, I need to have a conversation with you upstairs. And when my dad called me upstairs, I was in trouble, right? I mean, big time. So he takes me upstairs. He sits down with me and he says, Joshua, that's also another sign I was in trouble is when he used the full Joshua name. Usually it was Josh. He's like, Joshua. Then it's like biblical. We're going epic here. And he sat me down. He said, Joshua, he said, here's the deal. I love you. Your mother loves you. You will always be loved. You're always welcomed in my home. You are my son. And I have done everything I can for you. I've taught you as best as I could. I'm an imperfect father, but I've, done every, I've given you everything I possibly could. But you're on your own now. I've given you to God, and it's up to you. But you have got to grow up. You've got to grow up. And the further this mountain you climb, the further you fall, the further you fall, the more it's going to hurt. But it's up to you at this point in time. You're going to make your own decisions. I'm not going to micromanage you. I'm not going to overmanage you. I'm not going to always be looking over your shoulder. It's up to you on whether you want to grow up and be a man or continue to be a child. It's up to you. The only thing I ask is don't do anything immoral in my home. If you do something immoral in my home, I'll kick you out. Otherwise, you are loved. That was it. And I knew it was out of love he was telling me to mature. I knew it was, it, was a sense of, it was a sense of parental love that he was telling me this. And sometimes I wish he'd come around every year and just tell me, give me that same speech every year because it did so much for me. It was a year later I came to know Jesus. It was two years later I was called into ministry. It was three years later that I went from not wanting to be married and having kids to wanting to be married and having kids. It was four years later, five years later, I can't remember which, when I met Sherry, everything kind of changed after that moment of just hearing him say, grow up. And that's what the Bible's telling us. Take the next step. Now, the question is, now, I mean, the question is how? All right, wait, wait, wait. What does God give me to grow up with? I mean, how do I take that next step? How do I, no matter where you're at today, I'm going to take the next step. I'm going to move up. How do, I, how do I do that? Are you surprised if I were to tell you that I have three things? Last week I had two, but we got an extra hour of sleep this week, so I figured three. Here, three things. Three things. Number one, here's how you grow up and take the next step. Be overwhelmed by God. Allow your, no matter where you're at. So I've been in church my whole life. I've heard every sermon. I've heard every testimony. Paul is telling these Christians... He's telling this church, he's telling them as a church and as individual followers of Jesus and maybe even in some cases lost people in this church, allow yourself to be overwhelmed by God. Do you hear it in the text? He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God that works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do you hear in that language he's saying? He's like, be overwhelmed by God. Fear God. Let me ask you a question. Do you fear God? Do you fear God? Some of you, you might not fear him at all. 
If you've never feared God, if you've never trembled at the idea of God, if you've never sinned and wondered, I wonder if God's going to get me for this, or if you've, if you've never feared God, let me encourage you, take the next step. If you're a believer, do you fear God? And if you fear God, how do you fear God? Like, there's different kinds of fears. There's like, there's the fear that a child has of a stranger, like, stranger danger. I mean, why did I go falsetto? I told the first service I wouldn't go falsetto on you, and I did it. But stranger danger, some people look at God, stranger danger, like, I don't know what God's going to do to me. I don't know where he's going to take me. God's the big bad policeman. God's the principal. God's the, God's the, the, shouldn't have done that either. Or there's the fear that a child has for a parent. The fear that I had when my dad said, come upstairs with me, son. I trembled a little bit, you know what I mean? He's just like, and when he calls me Joshua, Joshua, I I mean, I I was fearful, but it wasn't fearful like he's going to hurt me or he might hurt me, but he's not going to kill me because I'm his kid and I know he loves me. I know even when he's training me or disciplining me, it's for my own good. I know he wants the best for me. And Paul is telling these Christians to be overwhelmed by God like a child is overwhelmed by their parent, not by a stranger. God is at work in you. God is with you. There's an old Latin phrase they used to use all the time in church, uh, coram Deo, which means before the face of God. And as churches, they used, to, they used to remind themselves with this Latin phrase, Coram Deo, my whole life is lived before the face of God. God is not somewhere like, like look, relig- you know what religion is? Religion is God is far away, distant figure. He kind of throws you on earth. He gives you some rules. He walks away and he says, I'll see you at the end and we'll see how many rules you kept. But here, Paul is like, Work out your salvation in fear and trembling because God is not far away. He is with you. He is in you. He's like all around you. He is sovereign over every atom and molecule and electron and working all things out for his glory, for his purpose. Nothing is on accident. God is with you. And what that means is, as an act of worship, I am to avail myself to being overwhelmed by God. Are you overwhelmed by God? You say no. Okay. Are you allowing yourself, though, to be available to being overwhelmed by God? Now, here's what I know. You know, we're middle Americans, amen? I mean, we are middle Americans. You know what the deal is with middle Americans? We aren't overwhelmed by much. We're hard to impress. And if you are from central Illinois, here's what I'm learning about you very slowly. And I'm actually very impressed with. Central Illinois folk, you are hard to impress, amen? You are. Think about the saying. Think about the saying. If it plays well in Peoria, it'll play anywhere, right? What's that mean? That means if you can make me laugh, you can make anybody laugh. If you, if you can entertain me, you can entertain anywhere in the world. If you can impress us here in Peoria, East Peoria, if you can impress us in Central Illinois, you can impress anybody. Because let me tell you something, buddy, we're hard to impress. I think that's great. 
You want to know why? Because everybody in our culture is so easily impressed, right? I mean, we, you know, the new, new plasma TV, new iPhone, Ooh. you know, a new, a new gadget comes out, a new toy, a, 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 new, a new idea, a new, uh, something new, and we just jump up for, see, I got, got an extra hour of sleep. We jump up and say, <laughs> but not in central Illinois, baby. We just steady Eddie, hard to impress. Apply that to everything and everybody, but don't apply that to God. Be more easily impressed by God. Be overwhelmed to God. Don't be hard to play. Don't be like, God, if you can get me impressed, you can impress anybody. Be easily impressed. Be easily moved. Let Scripture move you. Avail yourself the fear and trembling and the love of God and the pleasure of God. That's how you grow up. That's how you take the next step. We're so guarded because we've been hurt. People have betrayed us. We see betrayal all the time. We see religious betrayal. We see religious leaders betray, uh, betraying. We see the church. Maybe we've been hurt by the church. We've been hurt by ministry. We've been hurt by what they said, by what they did to me. We've been hurt by our parents in some cases, by our dad or our mom or our kids are hurting us. Or We've been hurt, and so we begin to guard and protect ourselves. And I'm not going to be easily impressed. I'm not going to be overwhelmed. I'm just going to be kind of here because I've been hurt, and I've, I've hurt myself, and I don't trust myself and I don't trust you and I don't trust anybody else and we're just kind of we're kind of guarded behind all of our stuff and then when God starts trying to break through like I'm real I'm not a God of confusion I'm a God of light and salvation and freedom and and I gave my son and if I gave my son how will I not freely give you all things that you need Be overwhelmed by my presence. Fill my glory. That's what glory means. It means weight. Fill the weight of God. David Wells wrote a book called God in the Wasteland. And he said the problem with the church is that God has become weightless in the church. We don't feel his impact. We don't feel his glory. Like God should be like a rock. Hitting when the rock hits water and the water splashes or when a rock, a heavy rock, hits a table with, with items on it and it rearranges those items because the rock is heavier than the items. God should hit us because he's heavier than anything. His glory is greater than anything. And it should rearrange our whole life, our attitude, our mentality, our hope, our joy. God should totally impact us. We have to be available to him always and never, God help us with his grace, never get to a point to where it becomes old hat to be a Christian. God help us from that. May his presence be fresh and new. May revelation come alive in our heart. Behold, I am God. I am making all things new. He who sits on the throne is making all things new, even now. And he's never going to stop making you new. Because you're never going to stop trying to go back to old. And so God's always moving you to newness all the time. God's at work. He's dynamic. He's alive. Jesus has defeated death. He is with us. That's why Jesus said, Jesus said, Amen. Amen. 
Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And lo, note this at the very last phrase, and lo, that's King James Version, lo. And that means I'm godly because I know King James, amen? And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. God is dynamic, not static. And so are you. You're a person made in the image of God, made to be in relationship with God. And of course, sometimes we all take steps back in our faith. But if we continue to avail ourselves to being overwhelmed by God, we'll take steps forward. And of course, we're never going to become what we should be, but we're never going to be what we used to be. Be overwhelmed by God. If you're overwhelmed by God, if you avail yourself to being overwhelmed by God, you'll take the next step. I promise, even if you're an unbeliever, the whole reason why you continue to keep your unbelief and you won't believe in Jesus is not because you have some fancy intellectual objection to Christianity or to religion. That's not it at all. You're relational. You're more relational than you are intellectual. And the whole reason why we don't cross the line of faith in the first place is because we're just not available to it. We don't honestly come before God and say, okay, God, move me. I give you my heart. I'm ready to be overwhelmed. I need to be overwhelmed. I'm I'm sick of bondage. I'm sick of darkness. I'm sick of sin. I'm sick of always living in an identity that the world gave me or my dad gave me or my mom gave me. I'm available to be moved by you. And if you do that, If you make yourself available, let me tell you something. You'll be saved this very day. You will know Jesus this very day. Yes, you will. You will cross that line. Because nobody who's made themselves available and their heart available to God has ever been ejected. Jesus said, everyone who comes to me, I will in no way cast out. There is nobody I will cast out. You want to take that next step in maturity. You want to grow up. Make yourself available to being overwhelmed by God. Here's the second thing. How do I grow up? How do I take that next step? The second thing is shine for God. And and this, this is connected because God wants us to be overwhelmed. Why does God want us to be overwhelmed? By him. So that we'll be good witnesses. So that we will, number two, shine for God. God saves you. He's overwhelming you with his joy and his presence for one purpose and one purpose only. That is to be a light and a witness and an evangelist and a missionary. And that is to reach people. Listen, as a church, we're supposed to be overwhelmed by the presence of God so that others will come and they will see that we are overwhelmed and they will bow with us and worship God with us because, you know what they used to say, set yourself on fire and people will come and watch you burn. Amen. That's it. That's what he's talking about. Because watch what he says. He says, be overwhelmed by God, number two. Be a light for God. Watch this, verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of. Everybody say in the midst of. Oh, that's key. In the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, 
holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So you see there. You see that? You see what he's saying? He's like, look, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Do all things without grumbling or questioning so that you can become, so that you will shine as lights in the world. So that you will shine as lights in the world. Now the question is, how do I shine? And what does shine mean? Now, this goes all the way back in the Bible. And uh, I didn't mean to do this in the first service, but I did. And I'm not going to neglect you or uh, fail to uh, give you what I gave the first service. Amen. So I want you to go to Genesis. I want, you, I want to show you how far back this idea of God's people being a light and shining and being like stars in the sky. It goes all the way back to Abraham. Abraham and Genesis 15. Now, Abraham was a dysfunctional man when God found him. Abraham was a dysfunctional, sinful man. Him and his daddy. His daddy's name was Terah, which would make you dysfunctional if your daddy's name was Terah. Amen? That's a girl name. Already, that's going to jack with you. Okay? And he's dysfunctional. He's confused because his daddy has a girl name. And, and, and his daddy and Abraham and all of his sisters, and they were inbreeders. They were inbreeding like crazy in that family. And they're worshiping, they're worshiping the moon. They're worshiping moon gods. And in, at the end of Genesis 11 and in chapter 12, God comes and, uh, and God saves Abraham by grace, just like us. See, before we knew God, we were worshiping idols and moon gods and dysfunctional and we're confused because our daddy was jacked up or whatever. And God comes and, and, and God saves Abraham. And what God says to Abraham in Genesis 12 is he says, look, he says, I am going to make you a blessing to the rest of the families of the earth. You're going to be a blessing to the rest of the families of the earth. And then in Genesis 15, I want you to see this. In Genesis 15 and verse 5, I love this. It says, and he brought him outside, that is, God brought Abraham outside of his tent, and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now, check me. Abraham, at this point in time, I'm going to exaggerate, but he's like 200 years old. I mean, he is so old. He's like got a walker. I mean, he's like, I mean, old. Sarah is like old. She's like 150. That's an exaggeration, but that's, she's really old. Menopause is like years and years and years ago. And they've had no children. So they're old and they got no babies. And God says to Abraham, God says to Abraham, he says, here's the deal. Look up at those stars. See all those stars? And Abraham's like, dude, stars. I'm out in the country and the stars. And God says, your descendants are going to be more numerous than all those stars up in the sky. And Abraham's like, look, man, I fear you, God, but you're kind of cracked. I'm a really old man. And Sarah, have you seen Sarah? She's jacked. You know what I mean? And so what was God talking about? What God was talking about is that one day there would be spiritual descendants of Abraham. Paul talks about this in Romans. And all people who believe in the promise of God, like Abraham believed in the promise of God, will be saved and are considered spiritual children of Abraham. And do you know who those stars represent? 
You. You. You're one of those stars that he saw that night. Because just like Abraham, you're dysfunctional. Just like Abraham, you come from a jacked up background, sin, sinner. And God saved you by grace, gave you his son, Jesus. You believed in him and you became a star to shine for the glory of God in this world. Just like Abraham, you were saved for the purpose of being a missionary. For the purpose of being a witness. Now, go in your Bibles to, to the book of Daniel, all the way in the prophets. How do we grow up? How do we take the next step? We need to be overwhelmed by God, but we need to be a light for God. That's the whole reason why we're saved, is to be a light. Loved ones, that's the whole reason why we're a church, is to be a light. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 3. Daniel chapter 12, verse 3, it says this, And those who are wise, I like that because that stands for maturity, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And I love that verse because it gets concrete. How, How do I know when I'm shining? How do I know when I'm a star? When I'm turning others to righteousness. When as a result of me, as a result of my church, as a result of my followership of Jesus, as a result of my life, people are turning to righteousness. People are turning to God. And by the way, I am not considered wise or mature in the kingdom of God until I am doing that very thing. You could know the whole Bible. You could memorize the whole Bible. You could be in a church of 10 people who know more doctrine, more theology, more Bible, who pray all the time. But if that church and you are not reaching people, you're not wise, you're not mature, you're not growing up. You got to shine for God. That's taking the next step. And as you shine, you'll grow. As you reach out as a ministry, as a church, as a people, and as individuals. Think about it. Think about what Jesus said all the time. He was always talking about in parables, and he's always like, okay, one guy's got five talents, another guy's got ten talents, and when the master comes back, who are the ones that the master commends? Those who invested their talents in more, in multiplication, right? To whom much is given, much is expected. In what way? And more people being at the dinner table, more people being at the feast at the end of the world, more people being with Jesus at the end of the world, more people being at that table eating. And Jesus even said, if the rich won't come, if you can't reach the rich and those who have money, then go get people who are poor and on the street and bring them in. But whatever you do, your whole life is to shine and to get people to that table at the end of the world to be a light. Matthew chapter 5. Go to Matthew chapter 5. This is my last light verse. Matthew chapter 5. And verse 14. And Jesus gives his disciples and his church this very identity. He says in Matthew chapter 5 verse 14... You are, it's not you might be, you could be, you should be. He said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. 
And in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Man, I mean, that's how you start taking next steps. That's how, man, you want to see the spiritual trajectory of your life go, start being a witness. You want to be a part of a church that's going to help you go, be a part of a church that cares about unchurched people meeting Jesus. Be a part of a church that's reaching out without watering down the Bible. That is how you're going to grow and take new steps in your spiritual life. You say, yeah, but practically, what can I do right now? Well, Paul tells us, number one, stop grumbling, amen? (laughs) You want to be a light in your world. You want to help the church be a light. Don't grumble and question. Look at verse 14. He says, do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. You know who Paul's talking about there? He's referencing the Old Testament. And you know who he's referencing is he's referencing Israel when they were in the wilderness. And what did they do? They were grumbling all the time. They were complaining all the time. They were questioning all the time. Remember that? And, and Paul is like, don't be like the Israelites out in the wilderness with Moses. Don't be that kind of church. Don't be that kind of people. In fact, in, well, I won't go there. I don't have enough time. But, you know, I mean, in Exodus, they complain. Why did, why did the Israelites complain? They complained because they didn't have steak anymore. I mean, poor people, they got delivered from slavery. They got delivered from Pharaoh. They got delivered from bondage. They get delivered from the taskmasters. They get delivered from the whip. And when they get out in the wilderness, a whole generation says, I miss Egypt. I miss the steak meals. We're out in the wilderness. That's just a horrible voice, isn't it? Anyways, I'll, I'll speak normally. I'm sorry. They started complaining because they didn't have steak and melons and nice salads and salad dressing. The only thing God gave them was miraculous manna in the morning. And so they complained. And they literally say to Moses in Exodus 16, they say to Moses, Moses, you're killing us. You're killing us because you brought us out here and we don't have steak anymore and we're going to die. Thanks a lot, Moses. And Moses goes to God and he's like, these people are killing me. Now, why is grumbling and questioning so bad on the part of Israel? And why is grumbling and questioning so bad on our part? The reason why it's bad is because we deny the importance of being delivered by God from sin and slavery and bondage. Jesus delivered us from Satan. Jesus delivered us from sin. Jesus delivered us from hell. Jesus delivered us from everything by dying for our sins and rising on the third day. And when we complain and we question and we grumble, we're denying that salvation and we're giving people in the midst of a crooked and wicked generation, we're giving them an excuse to look at us and say, I knew Jesus was a fraud. I've been looking for a reason. I've been looking for evidence to prove that Jesus is a fraud. I've been looking for evidence to prove that Christianity is wrong. I've been looking for evidence to prove beyond a doubt. It's just another religion. It's just another hackneyed religion. Because look at them. I mean, they complain just like I do. They grumble just like I do. See? And it puts that light out. Here's the second way that you can be a light is you can hold out, verse 16, 
hold out the word of life. In the ESV, it says holding fast. In the NIV, the NIV actually has this better. It says holding out the word of life. Not only are we to live in the midst of our culture, but we're also to hold out the word of life. We're to go and tell our world, but we're also to invite to come and see, to come and taste, to come and hear, to come and hear the word of life. We are salt and light And we hold out the word of life, which is a better rendering of that verb for holding fast. Hold out the word of life. Now, this is important. I'll tell you why this is important, especially if you're visiting or checking out Crosspoint or like, what's the new pastor guy going to do? You know, like, what's his agenda? Here's my agenda. My agenda is that we would be a church that trains all of our members to be articulate with their faith so that they can share their faith with their friends, with their coworkers, that we would train all of our members in lifestyle evangelism. But number two, that we would be a church that attracts people to our church, that we would promote our church, that we would actually invest, risk, capital, money, people, whatever, so that we can promote our church and be a city shining on a hill. That's my agenda. I want us to go and tell the world about Jesus to be the light that way, but I also want to hold out the word of life and attract our communities, East Peoria and beyond, to come to our church and to see the light that comes from the word and in the gospel of Jesus. We want to see unchurched people become believers. We want new people to become disciples And we want new disciples to become better disciples by teaching the word of God. We want to be a light. Now, a church that does that produces mature believers. A church that refuses to do that produces immature believers. Be a light. Be overwhelmed by God. Be a light for God. Here's the final thing. Be happy. Be glad in God. Be joyful. Rejoice in God. Christ. Make a decision, a quality decision to be glad in Christ. Look at verses 17 and following. He says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Now, up to this point, I haven't talked about this much, but joy and rejoice, those words are used over and over in Philippians. In fact, over 14 times does the word joy get used by Paul, which is very ironic because he's writing this letter from a Roman prison. He is in prison, and not only that, it is likely that he's going to die. And he even says, you know what? This might be it. I might end up being a a drink offering to the Lord. They might chop off my head for Jesus. And I want you to know I'm glad. I rejoice. And as a matter of fact, I want you to rejoice with me. You rejoice. I rejoice. Let's be glad. Because we all have the opportunity to be poured out for Christ, to be poured out in service, to be poured out in duty and service to Jesus, his cause, his mission, his gospel. And Paul is saying, you know what? I've given everything I have to this ministry. And I've been beat and I've been dragged and I've been stoned. And it's likely I'm going to get my head chopped off by the Caesar. And I'm going before the tribunal. But you know what? I'm glad. 
I rejoice. And I want you to rejoice. The picture that he uses there when he says drink offering, and he always refers to himself as a drink offering. He does it in 2 Timothy 4 too. He's like, I'm a drink offering. And a drink offering in the Bible, Numbers 32, and also in the pagan sacrifices, they did the same thing. They'd sacrifice an animal, put it on the altar, and as the final step to offering a sacrifice to God, here's what they would do. They would take a bottle of Pinot Noir or Merlot. Not really. I'm just joking. That's a joke. They take wine, all right? And they'd pour that wine out as the final step to complete the sacrifice. And that wine was a picture of joy. It was a picture of giving God joy. And Paul is like, you know what? There's been the sacrifice. You're a part of the sacrifice. And I get to be the wine poured out. And that's a symbol of joy in service because I'm being poured out. And a sign of maturity and growing in maturity is choosing to be happy and rejoice in Christ. And why? Why is that a sign of maturity? Because Jesus is the Lamb of God who's taken away the sins of the world. He died on the cross. And all we get to be and what we get the joy of being is we get to be the wine poured out to complete what Jesus has earned for us. A lack of joy in our spiritual life is because we feel like we got to earn something. The presence of joy is it's all been earned, and now we just get to represent it. We get to be, we get to be Merlot or a better wine if you're a wine aficionado or whatever. And the point is this. Duty plus delight equals obedience to God. Duty minus delight equals disobedience to God. We are called to not only serve God and be poured out for God, but to experience joy in doing it. He is honored by our joy. And you say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Isn't it honoring to God if I do what's right even when I don't feel like it? Isn't that glorifying to God? Isn't that what God expects of me? Doesn't it honor God when I get it right, even when I don't feel like getting it right? And the answer is no, it doesn't honor God. Just like if I throw chocolates at my beautiful wife and say, there you go. I don't feel like giving you chocolates, but I hope you like it because I'm your husband and I'm going to give you chocolates. You know what she's going to do? She's going to look at me and she's like, you are jacked up. You're about to get pimp slapped by me. You know what I mean? God is not honored when we throw it down for him. Well, I don't feel like being good today, but there you go, God. I'll be good for you. What honors God is when, when, we, when we're poured out for him in joy and, 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 and we're joyful in following him. We're, we're experiencing happiness in knowing him. We're, we're, we're walking with him with delight and duty. That's obedience. You say, man, that's too much pressure. I don't want to serve. I don't, I don't want to be poured out if, if you're going to put the pressure of me being happy and serving at the same time. I don't want to do it because that's just too much pressure. But don't you see, that's why Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit. Jesus gave us the Word. Jesus gave us community. Jesus gave us the gift of praying and fasting. 
and encouraging one another every single day? Why did Jesus give us all these resources of Bible, prayer, Holy Spirit, fasting, all these things? It's so that we can come before God desperate and empty and say, God, help me not just to serve you. Help me to, help me to find pleasure in you. Help me to delight in you. Help me to experience pleasures forevermore in your presence. Help me, God. I'm praying. I'm asking. I'm empty. I'm surrendering. I want to receive what you have for me. And the day you have a Christianity where you're not dependent upon the Holy Spirit is the day you don't have Christianity. And the day that you have a Christianity where you can do it on your own without prayer is the day you don't have Christianity. And the day that you have a Christianity where you don't need a community group and you don't need other people encouraging you is the day you don't have Christianity. Because you can't do it on your own. That's the whole point. You can't be wine without other people helping you. You can't delight in God without community. (laughs) I mean, Jesus was emphatic. He's like, you need help. So don't do anything until the Holy Spirit comes. And then when the Holy Spirit comes, then you can depend upon him to help you. To delight in God. But please... For the, for the sake of growth and taking the next step, don't come up with some kind of stoical Christianity, some kind of dry, bland, believism, kind of cold, like, I'll never do that again. I'm sorry. But you know what I mean. It's a relationship. It's love. It's agape. It's word of God. It's God speaking. It's me praying. It's us moving. It's reaching out in passion. God is in white hot pursuit of you. He did everything for you in zeal and passion and blood and sweating drops of blood at Gethsemane. That's how God pursued you. Everything about God is passion. Everything about God is pleasure. Everything about God is is. Is expressive. It's love. It's not cold and dry and stale and boring. It's not Spock. It's only logical that we are sinners. You know? Take the next step. In love, let me exhort you. Grow up. Mature. Let God call you to the next step. Allow yourself to be overwhelmed by him. Shine. Be a light for him. Help your church be a light for him. And rejoice in him. Choose to be glad in him. And use the resources he's provided to help you to delight in him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your life and um, I thank you for the passion and the blood of your son on the cross for me and I thank you for new life in his resurrection and I thank you for freedom from dysfunction and freedom from bondage and sin and the taskmaster of our spiritual enemy. I thank you for the fact you are a liberating God. You're a freedom God. You're a God who sets the captives free. You're a light in our darkness. You're the bread to our hunger. You're the shepherd to our lostness. You're the doctor to our sicknesses.
you are incredibly good and help us just to delight in you. We need your grace. We need your help to do that. And all of us can take a a new step in our spiritual life. But even for that step, we need your help. May our faith never grow stale or old or move backward. May our, help our faith to move forward. Help our faith to grow and to be dynamic and legitimate and authentic and genuine in the spirit. When people see us, we're not even asking that, that they would be impressed with us, but may they be impressed by you in us. May they say there is another at work in that person. May we be lights for you. May we be one of those stars that Abraham saw that night when you called him. May we be wise and turn many to righteousness. May we be a shining city on a hill. And so many people are groping in the darkness, so lost and confused in their own bondages and iniquities and the iniquities of others upon them. They're harmed, they're harming, and they've been harmed. Be their savior and use us as a church and as a people to be light. We are grateful for your salvation. I want to just encourage anybody here who does not know Christ and has not taken that first step of spiritual growth. I just want to invite you to do that today. I really do. I want to call you to say to Jesus, Jesus, I need you in my life. I am more desperate than I thought I was, and yet I'm more loved than I ever thought I was. Man, just hear him. Feel even. Feel the pursuit of God for you and respond to it. Work out what he has given to you. Take the step and let me know about it. Pray with me. I'll be up here on the front pew. You can come down and pray with me while we're singing, but take that step. And then for the rest of you, what's your next step? Make yourself available to being overwhelmed by God. Be a light. Choose joy today. Joy and rejoicing in Christ is a decision. Make it. Choose joy in Christ and delight yourself in him. Let's just stand and worship our great God who pursues us with his love. Amen.